0: to Volume 3 of my podcast, Visions of a Blind Woman. Now I'm sitting here having a sip of delicious Starbucks coffee. Mm, let me take a sip. Mm-mm-mm. And Virginia is looking very cloudy, but it's not clouds. It is the smoke coming over from Canada. I can't believe that. It is really overcast here. And I, didn't, I skipped my walk this morning with my MJ because yesterday we went walking and, believe it or not, the smoke irritated my eyes. So we're staying put today and letting this stuff blow over. Mm. I don't know what they're going to do with the smoke, though. Uh, what do you do, put a bunch of big fans on Earth and blow it up to the ozone so we can deplete that a little bit more? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I hope they figure it out. Okay, so you know what? Doing this podcast has been a blast. You know, And I know I only have two episodes under my belt, but I'm still loving the heck out of it. I am so grateful for the positive feedback and support that I'm receiving from friends, family, and some random people. I would really like to get some dialogue going with people so if you're feeling anything about what I'm talking about if, you're, if you can relate If you think I'm full of it Email me ReneeFValdez At gmail.com And let me know what you're thinking And I want to know How the heck do you get followers? Come on man Show me some love Follow me on Spotify Alright enough commercial Today I wanna talk to you about something that is a great topic of discussion, conversation and even debate in the blind community. It is the idea of the gray areas of blindness. Picture it, Old Town Alexandria or Tyson's Corner Mall. It's entertaining to me How my white cane will cause people to jump in all directions, giving me plenty of room to pass. I can enjoy this because I do have a little bit of eyesight, (laughs) Then they don't know any better. It's like Moses and the Red Sea. Sometimes someone might utter, excuse me. Sometimes... They will pass me, oblivious to my tap, 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 tap. And sometimes, especially in sparse, popular uh, people traffic, they might press themselves up against a wall and hold their breath and stay still and very quiet while I walk past them so I won't know they're there. <laughs> really true story. Newsflash! I see you silly and I will say you look pretty funny scrunched up there against the wall so blindness is a funny thing sighted society is under the impression that a person is either blind or not you can either see or you cannot see gosh if only life were that simple right You know, the truth is, what blind people actually see is as personal and unique as that person is themselves. And to make it even more interesting, for some blind people, what they can see changes given certain personal or environmental factors like stress, lack of sleep, sunlight or shade, shadows, glare. Hell, the wind blowing north can affect us. Ha! <laughs> Just kidding. If you feel frustrated at this news, think about how a novice blind person might feel. I say novice because I have learned that people who have been living with blindness for most or all of their lives seem not to sweat this small stuff. For them, getting from point A to point B is as routine as the same task for a sighted person. The only difference is the blind person might have a guide dog or a white cane leading the way. So what's the big deal? Sighted people are led by their cell phones, usually texting while they walk through their daily lives. Hence, all the car crashes and all the people getting hit on the crosswalk In D.C. All right, I digress. So what about the novice blind person, you ask? Well, in the words of the guard at the gates of the Emerald City, that's a horse of a different color. I can only comment on my own experience as a novice blind person. And yes, I still consider myself novice. Even after 10 years, thank you very much. Truthfully, it was easier for me in the beginning when I didn't have any sight to consider. I could see if it was light or dark, and that was pretty much it. Since I was completely devastated by my new challenge, my decision was easy. I just didn't go out at all. I planted roots on our couch, and there I sat for three years. (laughs) Okay, I'm being melodramatic. I mean, that's what I do. If you heard my first episode of this podcast, I actually did go out during my very blind time. I visited the amazing docs at the National Institutes of Health, National Eye Institute, almost monthly as they worked so diligently to get my eyesight back. I took mega doses of prednisone and some other great drugs, and I grew, and I grew, and I grew to the size of a champion sumo wrestler. (laughs) Ha ha, don't laugh. I have the pictures to prove it. When I first learned my diagnosis, BKH, I did a little research. At first I was apprehensive about even typing it out on my keyboard, B-K-H, or even giving it any attention at all. That might mean I am accepting this diagnosis and that might suggest that anything I learn will apply to me. Here's what I found. B-K-H presents in four stages prodromal, uveitic, chronic, and chronic recurrent. I learned that less than 50,000 people in the United States have VKH. Aren't I lucky? And... I feverishly read the symptoms of each stage over and over and over, trying to plug myself into any one of them. What was clear is that the prognosis of this disease, VKH, would be directly related to the treatment I received at the onset of the illness. I didn't know if I had waited too long because I also learned that catching this early and starting treatment quickly was the key to reducing the symptoms and going blind I don't know if I caught it in time I think I let too much time pass I if you remember I waited till that circle of of vision got so small I almost you know was completely dark before I said anything so maybe that's why I Didn't have such a good prognosis? Ya think? Anyway, I searched it on Facebook and found there were three private groups created by people who had VKH, or, if they were blind, their parents, in this case. I was surprised. I was also reluctant to click on any one of them. I was worried. Would my Facebook friends be able to see that I clicked on those things? And wonder why I was looking at that stuff? You'd have thought I was looking at porn. Well, after a week or so, I think it was about that long, I mustered up the courage to actually click on one of the VKH Facebook pages, the one with the most followers. I signed up, and I actually had to wait to be let into the group. And once I was let in, it still took a while and a lot of false starts, you know, like how when you're ready to jump and then you get scared and you hold back. I waited and waited till I actually started scrolling through. I'm not sure what that was about. I just, I don't know if I thought that reading the experiences of other people might make it more real for me. To me, that was still a bad thing. But there were so many people, young people, younger than me, because I was 48. Sharing their experiences with this illness, their thoughts, their fears, their desperation with the damn symptoms. Some of them were very positive and they were reporting much improvement in their eyesight because that seemed to be the prevalent uh, symptom. And nobody really talked about, you know, the hair loss or the vitiligo. Some did, but not very many. The biggest thing was the eyesight. But there were many more people who were frantic who were seeking answers and remedies for their loss of eyesight. I read and I read and I read, but I was still nervous about posting anything. I thought at the time, if I type on someone else's page, I think it shows up on my own page. And so people who are following me and what I'm posting or getting posted, they might see that. That's what I thought at the time. So I trolled. I trolled those VKH sites or pages. I still hadn't really told anyone about what was happening. And I wasn't anxious too. My Aunt Patsy knew, my honey knew, my friend Rachel knew because, you know, they helped me out in the beginning. But as far as anybody else, and as far as sharing the real nitty-gritty of what was going on inside me. Nobody knew that. Finally, one evening, I couldn't stay quiet on VKH page any longer. As I posted a comment, fear and anxiety filled my heart. But I did it. I posted a comment and I posted a couple of questions, crossing my fingers that nobody I knew would see it. So what was I so afraid of? Wow Okay so back to the NIH I remember the first time I could see That there were two fingers Right in front of my face It was Daryl The technician working with me At the Eye Institute Who was doing the routine exam To determine if my vision had changed I would sit on the exam chair And I'd struggle to see The huge flip chart sized eye chart They placed about a foot away from me Nothing Nothing They tried one eye, then the other. Nothing. They tried covering my eye and having me peek through those tiny little holes. Nothing. Then it was time for the how-many-fingers test. Prior to this, I couldn't see a bulldozer if it was in front of me. But that day, that very special day, after such a long time, of not being able to see anything, suddenly, there they were. The most beautiful things I had ever seen in my life, unsurpassed by a rose or a waterfall or a rainbow. I was able to see Daryl's big-ass sausage fingers. (laughs) He was a heavy man. I could see those big ashy fingers and I started bawling like a baby and I cried and I cried and I cried and I I think Daryl even cried. You see, we all, me, the docs, (laughs) Daryl, we all thought that it would be a miracle if I ever regained any sight. Dr. Sen actually said that to me. And every time she would examine me at the end of my visit with Daryl or whatever technician I was working with, and she would see no change, her face told the story, and she would mumble to her fellows lots of medical mumbo-jumbo about subretinal pigment epithelial aggregates or chorio-retinal adhesions or elevated pigmented lesions or later sunset glow fundus (laughs) i knew that was bad how can something so bad sound so happy and bright and as always at the end of her little thing there she would turn to me and scrunch up her little face, and pucker her little lips. And in her most pathetic voice, she'd say, Poor Miss Valdez, you've been through so much. And she would fly out of the room, fellows in tow. I think that little display of sympathy she learned on the last day of medical school. That's okay. I still love you, Dr. Sen. In the months that followed that initial drama, you know what? I grew a backbone. My eyesight would fluctuate to almost total obscurity and then back again to waterfalls and rainbows, usually somewhere in between. And that, my friends, is where I am now. I am thankful to have regained enough eyesight to see the beautiful smile of the man I love the mischievous look in my dog's eye when she wants to play, the green grass, the blue sky, and the beautiful NFL football games in the fall. In the words of my Uncle Tomas, it's a goddamn miracle. Wait, 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 stop the music. This is where the director comes in and shouts, cut. So what about that blind enough stuff? What the hell does that mean? Well, I'll tell you. Now that my eyesight is in a spot where I can see certain things in certain situations, it becomes very interesting. As far as the autoimmune illness that took my eyesight in the first place, the damage is done. Dr. Sen and any other doctor that I have seen say, because of the scar tissue formed on my little retinas, I probably won't gain any more eyesight. You know my honey here hates that because he's such the total optimist in this thing. They tell me that the trick will be to prevent further loss caused by any relapse of my illness. Oh, shut up. Stop looking at me that way. As I often boast, I have enough eyesight to get me in trouble. So here's the thing. When I don't use my white cane out in public, I take small and tentative steps. And sometimes if I approach stairs or a curb or anything in the dim light of, or dusk, or even bright sunshine, because I can't really see, I stop, I feel around with my hands and feet, and then take the step. My honey says I look like an old lady. So I use my white cane. Picture this. I'm walking into and through Barnes & Noble Bookstore, one of my favorite places in the world. I'm headed straight back to the Starbucks, my white cane swishing side to side of me, expertly, I might say. I order my delicious Quad Grande Americano. I pay. I'm lying because sometimes I order a, a donut. Well, they don't have donuts. They have bagels. Or those really yummy sugar cookies, those shortbread things. (gasps) And they used to have this beautiful red velvet cupcake that was the size of Manhattan with this fluffy white Philadelphia cream cheese frosting. Oh my God. Okay, so, uh, so it's not always just a one coffee. But anyway, I digress again. So I navigate to my seat where I will be for the next several hours. I fold up my cane. I take out my laptop, put it On the little table, I take out my six-plus reading glasses, and I start checking my email. What? I can tell that the couple sitting across from me, who are now staring at me, are wondering, how the hell is this blind woman, who we just saw walk in with her white cane... Is able to see the damn computer. And then, when I take out my journal and start writing with a pen, I know that throws these sighted people into a tailspin. It's counterintuitive. White cane equals blind person. Sighted brain says, okay, I compute. Now, Blind person equals writing with a pen in a journal, with lines. Sighted brain says, abort, abort, do not compute. (laughs) It, It pushes against a sighted person's reality to see a blind person typing on a keyboard or writing with a pen in a journal with lines. Or taking pictures of a landscape. All of these are hobbies that I truly love. This is because white cane equals blindness, equals computer screen, equals writing, does not fit society's very rigid idea of what it means to be blind. Now here's the kicker. I feel a certain way about this. I'm really not quite sure how to quantify this feeling. The first word that comes to mind is and don't laugh and if you roll your eyes I'm going to throw something at you. The first word is guilt. Here is where the title of this episode comes in. Am I blind enough to be considered blind? (laughs) Wow. To you, that might seem a fairly innocuous question. To me, it is laden with shame and anger and denial. And no, I'm not just being melodramatic. As I am sitting at my table in Barnes & Noble, sipping on my Grande Americano, writing with a pen in my journal with lines about that very moment in time and my thoughts and my feelings about that moment, I look up at the couple staring at me. Hmm. And I smile at them. What else am I supposed to do? I mean, must I explain to them that I really am blind? Really, I am. But I have enough eyesight to be able to write in my journal with the help, mind you, of my binocular reading glasses, something I absolutely love to do and am so damned grateful to be able to do again because of those wonderful docs at the NIH who were able to restore just enough vision so I can do it? Must I explain to them, this sighted couple sitting across from me at Barnes & Noble, the nuances of what I can see or cannot see given the amount of light or the quality of light or the level of stress in my life or a relapse in my illness, all of which can cause fluctuations in what I am able to see or not see in any given moment. (sighs) Instead, I look at them and I smile. And I continue to write and take pictures of the landscape or flowers or my MJ and I continue to check my email and compose email and send email and it occurs to me. I can be gracious and understanding when others cannot comprehend the conundrum of my eyesight because at one time in my own life I was probably them and I am grateful that I have enough eyesight to see the handsome face of the man I love and my beautiful fur baby MJ and the smiles of my family and friends whom I so cherish and for me Hmm, That, that is enough. So people, my people, when you are out and about in your world doing your thing and you come across a person walking with a white cane, remember a few things. A, they really might be unable to see anything in front of them. So move over. B, they might have enough eyesight to see that there is something or someone in front of them. So saying, excuse me, or even better, good morning, might be a good thing. And C, they might have more eyesight than you think. So please don't slither up against the wall and hold your breath. (laughs) You just look silly. I so appreciate your supporting me and listening to my podcast. Please reach out to me at reneefvaldez at gmail.com and let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what you're feeling. And if you are sitting there on the couch and you are dealing with losing your eyesight or if you have recently lost your eyesight and are not sure what to do, just remember, you are not alone. You are an email away. So use it. <laughs> Everyone, have a wonderful week. And remember, look for my new episode next Tuesday. And hasta